Good morning and welcome again to Words of Hope. I'm Mark Yoder. Grateful again today for this opportunity to share with you. Grateful again today uh, for each of you that tune in here from week to week. Thank you again for taking a few minutes to share together in this way. I come to you again this morning with a great desire to be an encourager. Uh, done a little study this past week on the different spiritual gifts that God has given to the church. They're all needed. They, we desperately need uh, people that function well in these gifts. I, uh, I believe in that prophetic gift, those that see right and wrong very clearly. And there are times when it is really healthy to have someone stand up and speak clearly and loudly that such and such an activity is wrong <laughs> and that there is a judgment for those that do not pay attention. And, you know, sometimes we try to silence our prophets, but I think we need to encourage them to speak. It is absolutely true today that God calls for people to be righteous and holy. We need the gift of mercy, though, someone who sees someone hurting, who knows that sometimes that hurting is actually a result of people's sin and the things that uh, they've done have brought them pain, but someone needs to come alongside and speak hope and put their arm around them and say, you know what, you're still loved, you're still worth it, Jesus loves you, he forgives you. We need that gift of administration, people that know how to get work done and organize people and be an administrator. There are dangers with each of these gifts, but they're so needed. Uh, my dad had that gift. <laughs> he, could, he could get more work out of people, and, and he loves seeing people work. My, my sons to this day have this memory of my dad getting them to do jobs, whether it's cut wood or whatever, and stand there with a grin on his face, happy to see others work. Uh, it's a great gift. We need it. Uh, then there's the gift of teaching. And some people just love to study and research. And they, we need that gift today in the church, people that can give us uh, history and details of things and study the original languages so that we are accurate in the things that we teach and say. Um, sometimes that's tedious. It gets... Uh, much too much detail for some people, but we need that gift. Some people have the gift of helps. They see things. They work behind the scenes. They're constantly seeing what needs to be done. You don't, and I'm the guy that say, if you need help, <laughs> tell me, let me know. But these people see what needs to be done and they go get it done. And you suddenly realize that someone knew exactly what was needed and then there's a gift of giving, and I really believe in this gift, by the way, and I think that all of us should function in each of these gifts to some extent, but there's the gift of giving where people see needs. And by the way, um, as I have traveled and done the mission work that we've done, one of the things I've discovered is that few things encourage people more then when God moves someone to give just the right amount of money at just the right time. Um, I've, I've said often that there are people right now doing amazing work in God's kingdom. And if God has called you to be a giver, 
you should be looking for those places. Now, all of us need to give, and all of us need to show mercy, and all of us need to be prophetic at times. Um, but it brings that brings me to my spiritual gift, which is the gift of encouraging or exhortation. And so I come here week after week looking for ways in which I can speak hope into the lives of people. But also part of that is to help people understand uh, ways in which to apply the principles of God's kingdom to your own life uh, so that you enjoy this journey. You hear me say that week after week. My prayer is that <laughs> we can share something that will, again, make you excited about your faith journey, that you will know that this is absolutely the best way to live your life. We say it often, yes, it's the only way to get to heaven, this thing of bringing your life to Jesus, declaring him to be your Lord and Savior. But it is also the best way to live your life. I absolutely promise you that. To, uh, to live life without Jesus, without his ways, is part of who you are is to invite so much chaos and headaches. Yeah, there are a lot of people that enjoy, I guess you could say, a good life for a season. They have money, good relationships, good health. But, it, but in the end, the way of the transgressor is hard. Um, the seasons of life are real. And the Bible says you reap what you sow. Um, but anyway, my, my particular passion <laughs> is how can we encourage people and show them that this journey with Jesus is absolutely the best way to live your life. And so today, again, my prayer is that as you uh, tune in here today, but as you live your life, that you'll see again, serving Jesus is the only way to live your life. I believe that a big part of that is that daily surrender we keep talking about. And I truly hope some of you are making that part of your daily prayer, part of your daily decision to say day after day, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm everything I have belongs to you. And in that surrender, I do believe <laughs> it is the key to learning how to enjoy this faith journey. I often say that uh, no matter what area you talk about, whether you talk about spiritual warfare, whether you talk about uh, health, relationships, um, finances. I actually believe the very first principle in all of that is that complete surrender to Jesus. If you're struggling in some area of your life today, uh, the first thing you want to do is just go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, again today, I'm yours. He is the one that said, unless you give all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. And as we've been saying here, he didn't give us that to make us miserable. He didn't give us that so <laughs> we could go through life feeling deprived and having less than. I can assure you one more time today, when Jesus invites us to give everything, he does that because he knows that is the way to the best journey possible. Uh, to try to keep one eye on the world, to be double-minded, saying, you know, I want this and that. <laughs> well, I just want you to know again, and by the way, we say this too very often, we don't have the power to even make that surrender the way it ought to be. Um, that's why we ask him. We say it over and over, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thought. See if there's a wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. 
Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And yes, we say this often, but I truly believe that it is the first step in absolutely enjoying the journey. Lord, you know my secret places, the places where uh, there's still a lack of conformity and lack of surrender. And so just work it in me today. Work in me. Uh, we say God's grace is that he works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. As I came to this talk this morning, my mind was especially on the fact that there is a, often a bit of conflict between this thing of faith and works. Uh, this, what, the, I was reading there in James again, and I was intrigued with what uh, this writer says. He said, you show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. But if you study with any uh, consistency and with any accuracy in all of the epistles, you'll find over and over again uh, that this faith journey begins just with that faith in what Jesus has done. There's none righteous, no, not one. The uh, heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And, you know, even in that teaching Jesus gives there on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I believe in that he is not teaching some higher law that we have to conform to, but he is reminding us that we need a changed heart. If you're listening to me today and you're struggling right now in your faith journey, if you're feeling like you're less than and performing, underperforming, and, I, and I'm never wanting ever to act like we arrived to this place where um, the sin nature is gone. We don't have to say down dog to that old nature. But if you know you're walking in defeat, you're fulfilling not what the Holy Spirit wants, the fruit of the Spirit, but you're you're being uh, sucked in to the works of the flesh, the things that should not be happening. I just want to tell you again, the method by which you will experience victory is a complete surrender to Jesus, inviting him sincerely every day to change your heart. I, it's not a magic formula, but it is the means by which Jesus changes our heart. I want to come back here in the second half of this talk, and I want to talk a bit more about what it means to have faith that results then in right living. And it's not enough just to say, one day I got saved, one day I was baptized, one day I believed, but we want fruit from that. We want, quote, works, the, the kind of responses that honor our Heavenly Father. I want to come back and talk a bit about that after a song. Cast my mind to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds, his hands, his feet My Savior on that cursed tree body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the ancient seal by heavy stone the 
As I was saying earlier, one of the clearest teachings in Scripture is that we are saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship. And uh, the Bible brings that out over and over and over. The just shall live by faith, the Old Testament says. <laughs> and I don't know how to uh, say this any more clearly, that all of our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. And there's something that happens. And I grant you the mystery of it, but something happens when we come to Jesus. We ask for his forgiveness. We declare that he is our Lord and Savior. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. And it is on that basis by which we stand before our Heavenly Father without guilt, without condemnation. Uh, it is um, by the blood of Jesus that our sins are taken away. And we no longer have to answer for those. And there would be great error in ever <laughs> doing anything to undermine that in any way. If you're listening to me today and you've never grasped that in your life, you've never come to understand that, that is the starting place of our faith journey. Jesus went to the cross. He's the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world and uh, for all who put their faith and trust in him. And so it's, in my mind, <laughs> it's not all that surprising that sometimes there is confusion and uh, maybe disagreement about what's the diff what does it mean for uh, have faith uh, without any evidence. Uh, as I quoted earlier, the book of James says, you show me your faith uh, without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. And, and I grew up in a church, the Mennonite church, in which I believe it was, um, we were more comfortable with the way James put it. Uh, we were more comfortable with the, the way he spoke on this subject of faith and works. I, I have this memory, um, my Uncle Jesse, uh, a pastor, a conservative Mennonite pastor, and a good, good man. Someone that I highly respect, has had huge influence on my life. I remember one day sharing with him some of the things that God was teaching me about his unconditional love and how this whole thing, by faith, I'm declared righteous. And God knew me, past, present, and future. And in spite of what he knew, he forgave me. And my Uncle Jesse looked at me, and, and, and I might have been sharing a few other things as well. And he said, you know, Mark, the last guy that talked to me was a like that was a pastor who a few weeks later ran off with his secretary. <laughs> he he kind of took the wind out of my sails. There's not very much to say. You, I mean, what do you say to that? Well, it ain't going to happen to me, of course. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, we as a church, were uh, we didn't think very highly of people who made some kind of profession of faith, and yet ran off with their secretary, lived in immorality, had no fruit in their life. And we were, we did probably much too much to uh, have people believe, well, if you don't keep walking in righteousness, you're going to lose your salvation. I've talked about that a number of times. Uh, my, how my uncle took me aside when I was first gone to Philadelphia College of the Bible, and he warned me about that damnable doctrine of eternal security <laughs> and a few other things. Anyway, I remember thinking I'll straighten out the theology of my Baptist friends there at uh, 
Philadelphia College of the Bible when it was still in Philadelphia on 1800 Arch Street. But anyway, um, I often say about God's sense of humor with that, the first time anybody spoke to us about that security for the believer, that righteousness that is by faith that will never be taken away was taught by Dr. Douglas McCorkle, the president of the college. And with tears in his eyes, he explained what a change came in his life when he knew the unconditional love of God. And I, I remember as I sat in that small class and I watched the emotion of Dr. McCorkle and sensed what had come over him. I remember thinking, well, that doesn't sound like a damnable doctrine of eternal security of a, <laughs> of a teaching about faith without works, but something that all Christians ought to have. Now, again, to be fair, a few months later, uh, we had another professor who made the statement to a bunch of freshmen and sophomores that you could accept Jesus one minute and deny him the next and you still go to heaven. <laughs> and I remember saying to this guy, I wish you'd have the uh, integrity and honesty to admit that there are many Bible-believing, godly Christians who would totally disagree with you and he hemmed and hawed a little bit and said, I stand by what I said. Now, again, this is not my opportunity here to score against some of those things. But what I am saying to us today, that God is very, very clear. If you have come to Jesus and if you've had an experience with him, if you've been born again, if you've been changed, um, if you are living and surrender to him, there's to be fruit from that. <laughs> there is to be works. There's to be a result that people, when they look at you, can see. And I don't believe it's external, first of all. It's internal. I believe that is the whole meaning that we are made. When Jesus said, unless a man is born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And But what does it look like? It doesn't just look like a conformity to a dress code. There are many, many people that have um, been part of very conservative churches, um, Amish, and sometimes others. I'm not picking on them, but I'm just saying you can do uh, wonders in having a certain kind of dress, certain kind of look, a certain kind of outward conformity, and nothing in your heart has been changed. There, Many of these people that have all that external can be uh, just immoral, incest, the kind of evil that even our secular world would say is horrible and evil. Uh, and the Bible says should not even be named once among you. And I'm saying this today because I truly believe that you don't have to be much of a student of scriptures to know that when a person comes to Jesus and their life has changed, yes, <laughs> the world around should be able to see it. My dad used to say, even our animals will know when Jesus changes our lives because something fundamentally changed about how we live and who, who we are and how we're motivated. All of this to say again today that we know and we believe that the first step in this relationship with our Heavenly Father comes through faith in Jesus and the finished work that he did. We also believe that it is absolutely essential that we uh, surrender daily to him and let him do his work so that our lives began to demonstrate. Um, another little memory came to mind as I was thinking about this subject is um, one day I was, another time I was talking to my Uncle Jesse. He was an electrician and he was doing some electrical work and we were trying also to get 
uh, a ditch dug where we could drain some things from the milk house. I don't remember the details of that. And I had gone on for a long time <laughs> on this whole subject of amazing thing of faith. And Uncle Jesse, normal, often just listen. But my brother-in-law, Gerald, was there, and he was doing the digging. And after about, I don't know how much time where he dug and I wasn't doing anything, he says, well, faith and works set out to dig this ditch and works his way ahead of faith. <laughs> I think of that pretty often when I get on this subject. Uh, I think it's a bit of the language that James was using there. You want to talk about faith? Well, fine. You talk about faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Today, what I'm wanting to be saying in this discussion is that we know, we absolutely know that there is a righteousness that has nothing to do with what man can do. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We absolutely know that man's righteousness comes as filthy rags. But we also know that when a person has been born again, committed to Jesus, when they've come to him and have experienced salvation, a new life, then something changes in us. Those works of the flesh, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the immorality, the bitterness, something changes. God fills our heart with his love and forgiveness, and we begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit, genuine love, um, joy, long-suffering, compassion, and so on. I feel every time I take on these subjects and try to talk about them that <laughs> was a never adequate to share what we want to share. All I want to say by this today is that I believe in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul takes three chapters to tell us about who we are in Christ. You've been raised up. You've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're saved by grace through faith. Uh, you're born again and so on. He talks about all of that for three chapters before he starts talking about how to walk worthy of your calling. And in my mind, when he goes through quite a few details there of how to walk worthy, you know, getting rid of malice and bitterness and lying and drunkenness, etc., uh, what he's saying to you is these are things that will show you you still have work to do in claiming who you are in Christ. And I hope some of that makes sense to you today. If any of you are struggling <laughs> and you're wondering about your life, uh, the answer isn't to try harder. It's not to get up earlier and do better at your devotions. It's not to pray more and to witness more. It's to go back to Jesus and say, would you please do your work in my heart today. Um, I hope something in that will speak to you today, encourage you. Again, we can do nothing. We are powerless of ourselves, but we can surrender daily to Jesus. The past couple of weeks, I've been talking a little bit about our trip to India, and obviously that's getting closer. We leave on the 11th of November. I'm not going to go into all of that again. Uh, if you are interested in being part of that, you can reach me, send me an email at M as in Mark, B as in Boy, Yoder, mbyoder at gmail.com. Be glad to answer any questions, give you more details uh, if you'd like that. But again, thank you for listening today. Uh, we'll see you again next week on Words of Hope. I want to Please order.
Lord. 